0: So, um, but we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27. And it reads, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gout it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your own body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for just being who you are. You are God. Besides you, there is no other. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Even thank you for these texts tonight, Lord God. They're tough, they're uncomfortable, but we thank you for your instruction uh, because of your love for us. You want us to be uh, all that you've called us and created us to be. And thank you for your word that, that shapes us into that image, Lord God, in Jesus' name. So we glorify you. Um, help me to teach with simplicity and clarity, humbleness, brokenness, and repentance, Lord God that to see that your word fall on good ground to bring forth fruit thirty six and 100 fold according to your word. We'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 5, starting at verse 27. It says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. Now when Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, what was he talking about? Well, he was referring to the law in the Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments. The Seventh Commandment said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So when he, was, when he said, You have heard that it was said, he was referring them back to the teachings that they were very much aware of um, with the law. Uh, particularly the Pharisees and those who taught the law, they were very familiar with what he was talking about. So he was basically just pointing them back to what they already knew. You have heard that it was said in the law, Thou shalt not, do not commit adultery. The Seventh Commandment. 27b, do not commit adultery. The word adultery in the Greek is moikia, and it refers to unlawful sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. So that's basically adultery in a nutshell. We're all pretty much uh, know what that means for the most part. And it is unlawful sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. Adultery was considered a very serious offense. And it still was, But it was considered a very serious offense in Israel for several reasons. First of all, um, Genesis 2.24, For this reason shall a man leave mother and father and cling to his wife. And so, it, it, it adultery, you were only supposed to be one with your spouse sexually. So a man shall leave mother and father and cling to his, to his spouse. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about, uh, uh, in marriage, the husband's body does not belong to him, but it belongs to his wife, and the wife's body does not belong to her, but it belongs to her husband. So there was a, a, a covenant. We'll talk about that too. Um, a bond between husband and wife when they got married. And adultery. If you committed adultery with someone other than your spouse, it ruined that. It it, it interfered with that bond, that covenant that you have with your wife. So it was a very serious offense because um, you were only supposed to be one with your spouse. And, and sex, When you have sex with your spouse, you become one with them and become one with someone other than your spouse was sin and it was a very serious offense. Number two it, it violated uh, your spouse. It was worthy also it was, it was worthy of death, adultery Deuteronomy chapter 22 I'm trying not to put too much but I do want to read some verses tonight so but Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 22 says if a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife both the man who has sex with the woman and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. So adultery was so serious that it could cause you to be killed. It was worthy of death in Israel. That's how serious this was to God. And then he says, you must, pur- you must purge the evil from Israel. So it was seen as so evil it was worthy of death, and God's people were to be distinct and separate from every other nation. And so, in order for that to happen, God had to purge them of all the evil in their midst, as well as evil from outside nations. So he said, the reason um, you can be killed for adultery is because I'm trying to purge you from every evil among the other people. Purge you from the evil among yourself. So, adultery could get you killed in Israel. That's how serious it was. So, you were supposed to be wrong with your spouse. It was worthy of death. And it broke the marriage covenant they God created between man and woman. Malachi chapter 2 verse 1 talks about um, the reason. Let me, let me just read that real quick. Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 13. And this is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Verse 14, yet you ask, for what reason? Why, God? Why aren't you receiving um, any of our sacrifices from us? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have acted treacherously against her, though she was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. God says, I'm not receiving any of your sacrifices, nothing you bring to me because you ain't right with your wife. You are violating the covenant that you have with the wife of your youth. God said, therefore, don't bring nothing to me until you get that right. Even in 1 Peter, he says, "Um, when a man and his wife, if their relationship isn't what it's supposed to be, God told the man, don't even pray to me until you get things right with your spouse. So God said, I don't even want to hear your prayers, I don't want your sacrifices, I don't want nothing until you honor this covenant you have with the wife of your youth, he says. Did the one God make us with a remnant of his life breath? And what does the one seek? A godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously against the wife of of your youth. God says he's seeking godly offspring from a marriage covenant. Children are a blessing from God. And he said, first of all, you have a covenant with your wife, and out of that covenant, I want some godly children to spring forth. So God said, this thing is so serious, because there's a covenant here between, first of all, me and you, and then you and your wife, and I want some godly offspring, and adultery interferes with that. Interferes with that. Number four, is symbolic of the relationship between Christ and his church. is right. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about um, husbands loving your wives and wives respecting your husbands. And, he, and in the, uh, Paul says, um, it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The whole marriage thing is, uh, is a symbol of Christ and the church. And even in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel uh, committed adultery against God, uh, committed idolatry rather against God, he called it spiritual adultery. When they worship somebody, another God other than Yahweh, God said, you're committing adultery against me because I'm married to you and we have a covenant and you are committing spiritual adultery against me. And so the symbol, when, you, when, when, when you're married and you, and you violate the covenant, you, you, you commit adultery with someone other than your wife, you tarnish, you put a blemish, you mess up the image of marriage between Christ and the church. Can you imagine Christ being unfaithful to us? No, we cannot. Although we can imagine us being unfaithful to him, and we have. But this is a a symbol, this this is so serious, it's a symbol of Christ in the church, and you cannot mess that up. So, a man becomes one with his wife. It's worthy of death. They break the covenant. It's symbolic of the relationship between Christ and the church. And adultery is a work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. Where it talks about the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. One of the works of the flesh is adultery. There is nothing. Nothing spiritual about adultery. In the good sense of the spiritual I mean. There's nothing good about it. If you are married and you have sex with someone other than your spouse, that is a work of the flesh. I don't care if you've been separated for 15 years, and you never got divorced, and you love this other person, that is a work of the flesh, and it is worthy of death. There is no excuse for that. I know in our culture, we live in our culture that's so... um, sexually saturated and it's all about you and whatever makes you happy and whatever makes you feel good that's what you do okay, um, I've been separated from her for X number of years so therefore me getting involved in another relationship or we're going to get divorced eventually just right now you're still married until you get divorced legally I don't care how long you've been separated you are still married And that is adultery, a work of the flesh. And the Bible says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Adultery can send you straight to hell. I know that's harsh. I know that's those who practice, the key word is practice, such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So adultery is a very serious offense. Verse 28. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word look here is not just a glance a peek but it means to gaze at with the intent of sexual arousal that's your whole purpose in looking the word is epithemeo and it it, it is to desire bodily activity evil bodily activity to lust after now Jesus is not saying that you can't look and admire because there's nothing wrong with looking at a woman or a man you're a woman and acknowledging and admiring her beauty. So we're not talking about a sudden thought of, of a woman's attractiveness. There's nothing wrong with that with saying, man, that's a beautiful woman. She really is. And it was no lustful intent at all. Nothing sinful about that. And you can do that. And there's nothing. And see, we men, see, ladies, we're visual. Men are attracted and stimulated by what we see. Okay, we're made different. That's, that's part of who we are as men. And so we are... Uh, we like to look, okay? Um, so there's nothing wrong with looking and admiring uh, the beauty of someone, okay? Um, uh, but we have to maintain mental purity as well as, as physical purity, okay? Now let me throw this in there too. I know I'm talking about adultery, but this also applies to fornication, which is um, being having sex with someone that you are not married to, even if you're single. So me as a single man, I can't go have sex with a woman because we're not married. So, I'm talking about adultery in context, but you can throw it in here, you can apply the same thing to fornication, those of you who are single. Okay, we're not off the hook here. <laughs> okay? It applies to us as well. So we can look, and, and that's what it means. It means to look, to gaze at. And you know how, you know, we can do that. Men are good at that. We're good at standing across the room at a party and seeing a girl on the other side of the room and just looking, just gazing. And, you know, all kind of stuff going through your head. You know. See, we can look and gaze from across the room, and a woman has no idea that she can look at her. Because that's we like to look and to see. So, but like, I'm say, like I said, the problem is not looking, the problem is how you look and the intent of the heart, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay? So, he's talking about Looking with the desire, with the intent of arousing sexual. In other words, you say to yourself, "Man, she, man, if I had the opportunity, I'd hit that." <laughs> okay, let's be let's be real here. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about. I know that sounds funny. But he's, that's what he's talking about, man. It, see, it, it's it's aligning with looking, aligning with your will to commit adultery. See, see, Jesus is not just attacking their doctrine; he's attacking their heart. See, they see they thought. See, when they, when, when Moses said, um not not commit adultery." See, they was like, "Okay, I haven't committed the act. Okay, I'm good. I've never." Done. They can check off adultery. They haven't done that. The commandment have not committed. Adultery. I'm right. good Until they had a conversation with Jesus. And he said, if you even look at it and want to have sex with you, with your neighbor's wife, you're guilty. He said, see, it's, it's about the heart. He said, if you look and you say to yourself, my wife's gone for the weekend. Hmm. Neighbor's gone for the weekend. Opportunity presents itself, all she gotta do is give me the open, all she gotta do is just wink. And if she does, Jesus said we do that, you're guilty. You just can live the in your heart. Because your will is lined up with it. So it's one thing to be tempted, okay, just say you know what, this is a temptation for me, and you that. Sometimes you can do quick prayers. You're going to temptation me right now. Man, okay, God, that is not my wife. Lord, I'm praying right now, help me to bring this thought into captivity to make it obey you. My will is not aligned with what my flesh wants right now. I reject that. Pray immediately. See, that's what we got to do. That, that's, at that moment, pray. Okay, yeah, I, I, just, I just had this quick thought. It just came immediately. But that's not aligned with my will. That's not my wife. I got a wife who satisfied when I leave home. Thank you, Lord, for her. Don't, don't align your will with that. That's what Jesus was talking about. Lust for the purpose of arousing sexuality. It, the intent. Like porn, that's the intent. Let me. Uh, read something here um, which I thought was really good. Um, this is Calvin's commentary on, on this verse. Love is antithetical to true love. It dehumanizes another person into an object of passion leading us to act as if the other were a visual or emotional prostitute for use. Lust is, has nothing to do with love. Love Seeks to satisfy and please the other person at your expense. Lust seeks to satisfy self at the other person's expense. See the difference? Love, husband, seeks to satisfy the wife at your expense. Whatever it's going to take to make you happy, baby. I'm going to do that. I love you. I'm going to do whatever it is. Not Not just sexually, just in general, to satisfy you. That's true love. Lust says Okay, you do whatever is necessary to satisfy me and make me feel good. Lust is very selfish. Very selfish. It's not concerned about how the other person feels at all. not concerned at all about how the other person feels. So lust is antithetical. It's, it's totally opposite of who we're supposed to be as believers in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Verse 28, um, back to verse 28 a minute. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let me back up a minute. What was Jesus doing, first of all, with the law? Was he contradicting Moses at all? And what Moses said? No, he wasn't. No. He was, he, was, he was basically exegeting the seventh commandment. That's what he was doing. He was getting to the heart of the law. He, was, he raised the ethical bar, of, 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 of the bar of um, ethical conduct in the New Testament. That's what he was doing. He was basically, that's what God always been told the law when he said that. So he wasn't contradicting Moses at all. But when he said, but I tell you, what was he doing? Because Moses was the man in Israel. If anybody heard from God, they knew the children of Israel knew Moses did. Because he was, he was that dude, you know. And Jesus comes and says, Moses says, you should not commit adultery. But I tell, you. how many, why do we do that? Jesus was acknowledging and exercising his authority over Moses. What do I mean by that? Um, Matthew chapter 12. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12 in a minute. I'm going to have a couple of scriptures I want to read real quick. Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading in verse 38. I think that's what I want. Yeah. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the Pharisees and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah's here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look, something greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus said, in those verses, um, he talked about Jonah, and then he said, but something greater than Jonah is here. He talked about Solomon, but he said, something greater than Solomon is here. What was he doing? Jesus is king, priest, and prophet. And he was saying to them, I'm greater than your greatest prophet. I'm greater than the temple and your greatest king. That's what he was doing. One other thing. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and companions in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's a high priest. Jesus, the Bible says here, he's the the high priest of Israel. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house, now he's saying, he just said there, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses, who was to do, like I said in Israel, But here in Hebrews, the writer says, Jesus is worthy of more honor and glory than Moses. Verse 4, now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what will be said in the future. But Christ, contrast, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household whose household we are if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. So what is he saying? He's saying, Moses was a servant in the house. Jesus is the son over the house. Now who's worthy of more glory? Who has a prominent position? The son over the house rather than the servant in the house. So Jesus, he had the authority to say, yeah, Moses said this, but I tell you. Let me tell you what Moses did in so many words. Let me go beneath the surface. Let me let me see when you when you. Jesus said, "I'm telling you this because Moses translated the word written by God, but Jesus, said, I wrote it. I'm over the house. I'm not just a servant in the house like Moses was. I built the house." I'm over the house, so who has greater so he had the authority to say, yeah Moses said this but let me tell you, this is what I'm saying and I'm not contradicting Moses at all I'm expounding on what Moses has already written see you think, he you think you just because you haven't committed the act you're good but I'm telling you I'm going right to the heart of the seventh commandment which is thou shalt not commit adultery I'm going right there, That's, I'm going right to what see you think, see you think you can write this off you can check this out because you haven't committed the act physically. But what about the way you looked at the woman who was walking down the street the other day? See, the Pharisees didn't address that. They thought as long as they didn't commit the act, they were good. And the same thing is us today. Jesus saying, okay, yeah, you may be able to, you thought you were able to check off. Okay, thou shalt not commit adultery. Haven't done that. Not even married. So I'm good with that. But, what's in your heart? Do you want him? If you had the opportunity, would you? That's the question. That's the question. He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. See, the Bible, these verses you know, even preparing this, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, <laughs> you know, I'm printing as I'm writing, you know, as I'm preparing for this. This is hard, you know, because, our, like I said, especially in the culture that we live in, in the culture that we live in, they would think this is silly to not, to, to even have to, 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 to deal with the temptation and the desire to want to do that. I'm human, I'm a man, which is fact. We hear that shoes all the time. I'm a man. And especially when it comes to sex, we men always use that as an excuse. Listen, I'm a man. And your point is... <laughs> that's what the Pharisees said. Uh, listen, I'm a man. You know, the Pharisees even, the, the, the Jews, they, uh, I was reading when I, as I was studying this, the Jews expected Jewish women to to wear head coverings um, to keep from, from, from them lusting after them. You know, they put the blame on the woman. They, they put the blame on the woman. And they, and they said stuff like women were dangerous because they because they aroused love. They, they would say that. Jesus men said that. Ain't that crazy? He said, you've done it in your heart. The, the heart is the essence of who we are. See, even though you haven't done it physically, your heart may want to. And Jesus said, that's where the issue is. That's why I want to deal with, the heart. Matthew chapter 15 talks about all the things that come out. They talk about washing, being, washing with hands, being a defilement, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, um, he talked about all the stuff that comes out of the heart, fornications and murder. And one of them, he said, adultery. He said, that comes out of your heart. That comes out of your heart. So, that's the real issue. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say this real quick too. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like I said earlier, men are visual. So sisters, it's very... Even the Bible tells women how to dress. To dress modestly. It says women are to dress modestly. Um, in a godly way. Um, one of the reasons I think You should do that, need to do that, it's because men are visual. And I am not, please don't hear me saying I'm putting the blame on women. I'm not not doing it at all. Um, But be careful how you dress. Because you can become a stumbling block to a man. The Bible talks about not putting a stumbling block before your brother or your sister. Um, So, be, 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 be mindful of that, is all I'm saying. Be mindful, because we are visual, and we will get distracted easily by that. Get distracted easily by that. Um, our culture doesn't encourage that at all. You look at all the TV shows and the music videos, and women are dressed this That doesn't help at all. That doesn't help us. That doesn't help us. So just be mindful, be obedient to Scripture, and dress modestly. You know, um, uh, rapists cannot blame you for that. So don't mishear me. Hear me saying that that it's your fault. All I'm saying is. Um, don't be a stumbling block. I've heard men say that even in church, now this maybe could be an excuse, I'm not in church that they couldn't worship properly because of the way the women were dressed. They were distracted by the woman in front of them who whose cleavage may have been shown or who had on something tight and it was a distraction and that's a real thing. I'm not, it's not a, it, that's a real thing. So hear my heart in this. Just be mindful of that is all I'm saying. Is all I'm saying. Okay. Verse uh, 29 If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right eye causes you to sin, why did he say right eye? Why did he he say left eye? Why didn't he say just if your eye causes you to sin? But he said right eye. The right was symbolic of power, importance, and things that were valuable. Even the Bible said Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It didn't say he's seated at the left hand. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, Benjamin is son of my right hand. That's what his name means. So the right in scripture symbolizes power, authority, things of value. So, um, and then he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, doubt it out. The eye is the medium through which lust is created. Okay excuse me, uh, something that you see can bring about lust in your heart. Um, So he says, if you're right, I causes you to stumble, gout, gout it out and throw it away. The I, anything that you see that will cause lust to spring up in you, I don't care how valuable it is to you, how important it is to you, Jesus said you need to get rid of it. He says, gouge it out, which means to strike at the root of unholy inclinations with determination and do it promptly. Ridding ourselves of whatever would prompt those inclinations. Now, this is a metaphor, obviously. Um, obviously, i was not talking about mutilation, self-mutilation. Um, he says, if you're right, I, anything that's going to uh, cause lust to be birthed in you that you see, get rid of it immediately. Like I said, obviously it's a metaphor, because a blind man can lust. You know, a deaf man can still lust. So obviously your your eye, your physical eye, is not the problem. Jesus is talking metaphorically here and using an example. Um, So anything, if it's your computer, if it's a TV show, if it's a movie, if it's something that you're viewing, that you see, that's causing you to lust and to desire you need to get rid of it. I don't care how important it is. Now that's hard. That's hard. Because, you know, I do other things with this computer This important. You know, or I do other things. and You know, I... <laughs> I like my Netflix come. I watch stuff all the time. But if it's causing lust, watching... X, Y, and Z, you need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, gout it out. The hand is symbolic of deeds resulting from the lust that was brought about by what you see. The behavior, lustful behavior, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. Any deed that you do, whether alone or with other people, that will bring about lust, Jesus said, you need to get rid of it. I don't care how important it is. See? He said, it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, ain't nothing in the world worth you going to hell over. Nothing in the world is worth you going to hell over. I don't care how pretty it is, how beautiful it is, how much fun it is, I don't care what it is, it is not worth you going to hell over. He said, if you're right, I." Something of value to you. See, we we have a hard time getting rid of stuff that we value. I know I do. We have a hard time getting rid of stuff that we value. Um, And understandably so, understandably so. But if it's interfering with your relationship with God, if it's causing you to sin. Sometimes, see, I think that's another reason. the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked with non-believers. You know, we have a standard as believers. You know, um, you know we need to follow these verses if I'm a believer. So if I'm a, in a relationship with a non-believer, they don't care nothing about this. You know, so how, how is the, the sex thing going to work with a non-believer? You know, so you, 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 it, that's not going to work because you're trying to live by a certain standard and they, they don't even acknowledge the standard. You know, so, so sometimes if I'm saved and I'm in a relationship with somebody who's not, if my right eye causes me to sin, I need to let her go. She's beautiful. I, I love her. But it ain't working. Because every time we're together, it's causing me to stop. Sometimes obeying God will hurt you to your core. It will hurt you to your core obeying God. And it's not because God is mean. It's not because He's trying to, to He's done some kind of cosmic killjoy. It's just that God knows the things in our lives that will keep us from him and will interfere with our relationship and sometimes because it hurts we think that it's not God obedience to God sometimes hurts and because it hurts sometimes we have a hard time believing that it's God or letting go but listen some of the that we love sin and some of the things that you have to give up when you get saved is stuff that you love that's real. It's just stuff that you love. And it's not even necessarily always something sinful. Our relationship in and of itself may not be sinful, but if it's causing you to sin, if it's, if it's interfering with your relationship with God, you need to let it go. And that's not easy. That's not easy at all. But it's necessary. He says, because anything That will cause you to sin. He said, Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And it's not like I said, like God is trying to take all the fun out of life. God will restore and replace things. He will. He will. Um, But my, my point is, we have to understand that God is God by Himself. And anything can become an idol, even a relationship can become an idol. He or she can become an idol, and we gotta be careful of those kind of things. And so God said, "If going God is a jealous God." The Bible clearly says that He's jealous. He will have no other God before Him, none, none. And and sometimes uh, uh, He goes right here. He always goes there because that's the essence of who we are. And we have to trust God. See. It's easy for us to say things, you know, yeah, I trust God, I trust God. I believe God, until he goes for this. Now, it's a struggle to trust him. I'm not saying it's always easy to trust God. It's not. It's a struggle to trust God. But um, we have to. I gotta, God, I've got to trust that you love me enough. Even though you're, you're requiring of me to get out of this relationship or to let this thing go or to give this up or to give that up, I know it's not for my destruction. I know it's not because you don't love me. Help me to believe that. Just help me to do it. It's hard. And God don't mind you crying over stuff. Sometimes you need to grieve over stuff that you have to give up. Even sin. Cry over it. Let it go. God don't mind you crying. But let it go. At some point, you got to stop crying and say, okay. Let's move forward. Holiness. We've lost, we've lost the desire and the respect for holiness. We don't hear that word much in church anymore. God is a holy God. Lust is unholy in every sense of the word. Lust dishonors the object and is a disregard for God, John Christ said. It, it dishonors the object whatever you're lusting after. And it, it's, it, it's a disregard for God's holiness. We are called to be holy people. Adultery is unholy. Lust is unholy. And it's ugly. And when it rises up in me, I hate it. It's ugly. And so God wants to rid of all of that stuff. So we need to get rid of all the stuff stuff that we see that births lust and stuff that we do that births lust. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. One of the places where Jesus talks about hell. Now, he starts off talking about adultery and he ends up in hell. He starts out talking about adultery and warns against hell. Gehenna, hell, the valley of, of, of Hinnom, which is outside Jerusalem, which was the garbage dump. And Chris talked a little bit about this last week. And it was a place that burned constantly. And Jesus used it um, um, as a symbol for hell. And this whole discussion about whether hell was literal or not, that's one of the conversations, not a teaching about hell. But the point is, why did Jesus talk about hell? Well, in, in, in the beginning of the Beatitudes, he, he called his disciples alongside. It also says the crowds were gathered. Okay? So well, he wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to crowds of people who were a mixture of some of everybody. Everybody wasn't a disciple. There were people there who were following just out of curiosity. There were people there because he fed, them, he fed the 5,000. So everybody there wasn't a follower, wasn't saved. Okay? So Jesus is warning all those people out there. Okay? I'm not not just talking to my disciples. All of you out there who have not made a decision about me yet. This adultery thing is so serious it can send you to hell. Now as believers hell is not a threat to us. Jesus took care of that for us. We ain't going to hell. Now don't think that because you can't go to hell as a believer that you can go on and commit adultery and lust. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. But the point is, Jesus, the reason he mentioned that was because he was talking to not just believers. He was talking to the crowds, the multitude who encompassed some of everybody. So, it was a warning that Jesus gave. Okay, um, Adultery is so serious, even in the Old Testament, it can get you killed. But I'm going to go a step further and say that not only can it get you killed, it will, it will cause you to wind up in hell. That's how serious sexual sin is to God. I don't think we realize how serious sexual sin is to God because our culture is so saturated. With adultery and fornication and homosexuality and, and every other kind of sexual sin you can think of. And it's just okay, it's just normal. It's just normal. It's all over television, it's all in the music, there's musical porn. There is just such a thing as musical porn. So we've lost the respect for sex, even in the church. I just read an article, there was a woman who's a pastor who got pregnant out of wedlock, and she just was cool with it. We've lost respect for God's word. But I don't think we realize how serious... The Bible says sexual sin is the only sin that you are sinning against yourself. You jacking yourself up when you do that. Every other sin is outside the body, the Bible says. But sex, you sin it against your own body. We need to get back to understanding the seriousness of not just adultery but sexual sin in general like I said, this, this is to fornication too, not just adultery, but any kind of sexual sin outside of the marriage bond is serious. See, there are consequences. STDs are consequences to disobeying God. As harsh as that may sound, but sexual, sexually transmitted disease are consequences to us disobeying God. There are consequences when you don't obey God. doesn't matter whether you know what he said or not. It doesn't matter. There are consequences to disobeying God. And so Jesus says, this thing is so serious that if you're not careful, you'll end up in hell. Now, as believers, like I said, hell is not a threat to us. Jesus took care of our sin, past, present, and future. What I want us to understand See, we, 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 we shouldn't be living like, um, okay, I'm saved. Let me see how close I can get to the edge of sin without going over. How close can I get? How much fun can I have and still be okay, still be saved? Okay, it's, it, okay, the line's right here. Okay, I want to get this close. I'm still on this side, though. You know, sometimes I may just want to you know, see what it's like over there. You don't live like that. You don't live like that. You don't see how, how, much, how, how close you can come to sin without committing it before Jesus. You don't live like that. Holiness is the standard that God has given us. Holiness is the standard that God has given us, and it doesn't change. He doesn't lower that. He doesn't lower that. Um, he's given us about everything we need pertaining to life and God's. We can live holy, church. We can. I didn't say perfect. I said holy. They're not the same thing. Holiness, you know, holy, wanting to, I want to be holy. I want to be holy. It doesn't, holiness doesn't mean perfection. It just means I want to be. God, I want to be so much like you. You know, that's, I want to be so much like you in every area of my life. And this this area of lust and sexuality is one of the hardest in the world to maintain. That's one of the hardest it is to maintain. Because of the way we're made. Because we are sexual. And that is a natural thing. Listen, sex is beautiful. God created it, church. Let me just put that in there. I'm not not talking bad about sex. People don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying sex is bad. It's a beautiful thing. God created it. And the context of marriage is beautiful. But anything that God creates, the devil distorts. Anything that God creates is beautiful. The devil wants to distort. And so he does the same thing with sex. God says, in marriage, Satan says, outside of marriage. God says, man and woman, Satan says, man and man, woman and woman. adult and child. Anything, anything to distort what God has said. And our culture, applauds them. Romans one, verse thirty-two, and I think this is a verse we got to be careful as a church that we don't uh, encourage and applaud sin in any form. But Romans one thirty-two talks about you know not only do they approve, but they applaud those that do that do so. It's like they applaud. Uh, things that God calls sin. All in the name of sometimes entertainment. Oh, it's just entertainment. It's okay. It's just entertainment. It's not real. Okay, you got to be careful with that.
1: Because the world is trying to indoctrinate and they want
0: you to to, to disobey God. The the Bible calls the devil the prince of the power of the earth. He's the God of this world system. So he will always, always, Encourage and get you to disobey God. Even if he uses entertainment and music and your favorite actor and all of that to do it. He'll pass laws to say, see, this is okay, this is normal. The church is the one that's behind. This is normal. It's the law now. But the question is, whose law are you going to obey? God's law or the Democrats or the Republicans? So let's take communion. I'm not going to leave us in despair um, because Jesus, the adultery that I may commit in my heart, Jesus never did. The adultery that some of us may actually have committed, Jesus never did. So I can take communion and thank God for Jesus Christ who in my place never broke the seventh commandment, never lusted in his heart at all. So I can celebrate the fact that, God, I struggle with this. You know that. I hate it. I struggle with this. But I thank you that my Savior in my place was perfect. Therefore, I'm seated with him. Therefore, you see me as perfect. And because of that, God, I'm grateful. And I make a renewed commitment tonight to never commit adultery in the heart, to not lust, God, in my heart. By your grace and only by your grace and through the power of your spirit, Lord, help me to do that tonight. So as we take communion, that's what we need to think about, realize, acknowledge, and be grateful for. That even though it's worthy of death in the Old Testament and can send people to hell in the New Testament because of Jesus Christ, I'm seated in Him and I avoid those because of what He's done for me. Amen? Amen. Let's celebrate.